You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We are glad you found us. My name is Elizabeth Link, and I'm the Associate Pastor for Christian Education. Each week, we climb into the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling. We hope and pray that what we have to say is true to God's will for the church and may encourage and challenge you on your journey of discipleship. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review if you enjoy. May the Spirit have some word for you and what we have to share. Please pray with me. Transform us as you transformed Paul. Shape us into children who rejoice in hearing your word and proclaiming it to the world. Amen. The home of the Apostle Paul was Tarsus, an important Greco-Roman commercial city in what is now western Turkey, about 10 miles east of the Mediterranean Sea. Paul lived in two worlds. As a Jew, his Hebrew name was Saul. As a Roman citizen, his Latin name was Paul. He was a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. His father was a dedicated Pharisee who sent Saul to Jerusalem to study under the famous scholar Gamaliel. Saul learned well the rabbinical work of Jewish scholars. He also had the important status of being a Roman citizen, which meant he could travel freely throughout the Roman world, crucial in his later missionary journeys. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, records that Saul was in Jerusalem when Stephen was tried and stoned to death. Then believers in Christ were severely persecuted in Jerusalem and had to flee throughout the open country of Judea and Samaria. Our passage in Acts chapter 9 records that in his urgent desire to destroy all believers in Christ, Saul asked the high priest to give him letters to the synagogue in Damascus to permit him to arrest followers of the way and to bring them to be tried in Jerusalem. His purpose was to seek and destroy what he considered to be a very dangerous religious movement that grossly violated the Hebrew scriptures. Let's turn together, if you will, in your pew Bible to our Christian scriptures as we look together at Acts chapter 9. Hear these words for the church today from Acts 9, beginning with verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who believed in the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord had said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. 
The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from your chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Who would it be hard for you to get up and go pray with? Let's just think for a moment. What person in the whole wide world would it be hardest for you to pray with? For the early Christians, Saul was a scary dude. He's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Saul sees himself as God's champion, going after the bad Jews, those in his own faith needing rescue from their error. Saul is a committed son of the covenant. He's trying to do the right thing in order to strengthen the people of God. And Saul is the classic example of the devout person who is so determined to do good that they are blind to the destructive consequences of their purity campaign. We can see why a disciple of Jesus might not want to meet Saul face to face, let alone go to him and pray with him. It was a surprising time. Sick people were being healed. Dead people were getting a second chance at life. The good news was being proclaimed even to Gentiles. The church was taking shape by the work and power of the Holy Spirit, and it was growing. Day by day, the church was adding to its numbers. At this time, Saul was building his career in the Jewish church. Acts 7 and 8 introduce him as a young man who took care of the coats while people stoned the disciple Stephen. The narrator notes that Saul approved of this execution, and he is pictured dragging men and women believers from their homes and imprisoning them. Saul was the kind of man whose intense personality would push him to work overtime at whatever mission he undertook. But God had a plan for Saul. And if God were to capture Saul's attention and turn him around, God would have to do something dramatic. On his way to persecute some more Christians, Saul is stopped in his tracks. A light flashes around him. He falls on the ground and he hears a voice ask him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The men who are with Saul heard the voice but didn't see anything. Saul was shocked 
not only by the flashing light and the voice, but by the accusation of persecution. He had understood what he was doing as preserving God's people, not persecuting them. His one-track focus on righteousness had narrowed his vision, not enlarged it. He was so convinced of the error in others that he could not see the new thing God was doing in Christ Jesus. After his encounter with Jesus on the road, Saul's eyes are open, and yet he cannot see. His companions have to lead him to Damascus, where he waits, considers what he has seen and heard, and prays. For three days, he stays in the house of a man named Judas on a street called Straight. For three days, he is in the dark, which reminds us of the darkness of the tomb. And he begins to see for the very first time. It can be an earth-shaking thing to discover that the convictions you hold turn out to be wrong. It happened to the Apostle Peter. God gave him the vision of a sheet descending from the sky with every kind of animal on it. Eat, God told Peter. But Peter replied, oh no, I do not eat unclean meat, Lord. God tells him that whatever God has made clean, he should not call unclean meaning not only that it was okay to eat these animals now, but that unclean people, Gentiles, were also welcome in God's kingdom. God is moving in new directions all the time. And if you want to keep up with God, you have to keep open to where God's spirit may be heading. It's not often that God is so clearly and so dramatically make God's plan known. Not many of us have a story like Saul's. I grew up in the Bible Belt. Most of my friends in upstate South Carolina came from more evangelical churches, and they would often ask when I had been saved. I even accidentally went down for an altar call one time in eighth grade, not knowing what it was, but that's another story. (laughs) My friends had stories of summer camp conversions and youth group born-again experiences. Some of them even thought they heard voices in the middle of the night. I could not name a day or time when I first believed. I just always believed. Of course, I questioned. I've had seasons of doubt and experienced time when God feels far away and other times when God feels as close as my own breath. But there's never been anything so dramatic about it that I actually remember a particular day or a time when it happened. One rainy Saturday... Presbyterian pastor Heidi Peterson stood on the front porch of a Habitat for Humanity house with a man she'd never met before. There were volunteers who had come to unroll sod, to plant shrubbery, to sweep a driveway, to make a new house a home. And as they waited out the weather, they began to talk under that front porch. The man observed that although its timing was inconvenient, they sure needed the rain Then, not bothering with a segue, he went directly to his main concern and asked Peterson if she were saved. When she told him that she believed she was, he asked for the date, the time, and the description of her conversion. It's for moments like this, Peterson writes, that I think about making up my own road to Damascus story. But it wouldn't be true. Peterson was baptized as an infant. Raised in a faith tradition, she was taught to love and respect and gradually grew into the theological convictions she strives to live out. Every day the conversion continues for her, and she says she's changed by human encounters, the natural world, 
and countless experiences that provide new insights to the nature of God. Her fellow Habitat volunteer knew with certainty the moment Jesus had called his name and entered his heart. He could tell you where he was, what he was doing, even what he was wearing. Peterson shared that her favorite metaphor of the converted life is like this. If you consider a flower petal unfolding over the course of days, who's to say when that bud converted into a flower? The man was unimpressed. And perhaps some of you can name the day and time when you first believed. But I bet most of us have an experience kind of like a flower, unfolding petal by petal over the course of years. The story of Paul's conversion is not told to be the normative faith experience. It is told to be the extraordinary one. By contrast, we never hear about how Ananias came to believe. He was a convert to the way and a person who must have lived close to the divine. His relationship with God was conversational. Unlike Saul, he'd been growing in the knowledge of God over time. And when the Lord called his name, he recognized God's voice. He didn't need to ask, who are you? Instead, he responded, here I am, Lord. Unlike Saul, Ananias was not struck speechless and blind by some shocking light. Rather, he had been walking in that light day by day. He spoke back to God. When Saul spoke with Jesus, the power of the experience left him in the dark and unable to eat or drink for three days. When Ananias heard God's voice, he got up and followed. It couldn't have been easy. He had heard of the many things Saul had done. Acts says, he replied to God, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Yet despite this, he is willing to walk into what must have felt like a lion's den. Ananias goes, enters, and lays his hands on Saul. He baptizes him. In essence, he ordains him. He trusts what God has told him and comes to see Saul as someone God has called. We know nothing of Ananias beyond this story. Acts does not tell us that he goes on to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, or that he founds churches across the empire, or that he stands true to the gospel when on trial, or that he ends up imprisoned and even executed for his beliefs. All we know of Ananias is that he obeyed God's command to go and pray with Saul so that Saul could do those things. It's not much of a stretch for me to assume that most of us will not be stopped on the road by a brilliant light. We will not hear a voice calling us by name, nor have a vision where God instructs us to go to a specific street, to a specific person, to perform a specific task. But we can hear and answer God's call. This past Thursday and Friday, I met with eight other women from our church to study and plan for the summer's vacation Bible school. Our theme is God Calls, and that present tense title is on purpose. God Calls. Sure, God can call in the flash of light and with a voice from heaven. More likely, however, that will come in quieter, more gradual ways. We need to keep open, to listen and to be ready, so we will see it whenever or however it comes. 
When I lived in Delray Beach, Florida, a man in our congregation would tell us about the messages that God wrote to him in the sky. At the time, none of us had the heart to tell him that we all were seeing the same thing a local pilot wrote in the sky every Sunday afternoon. Sure, it never hurts to look up. But hearing the call to go and sit with someone who's grieving, to care for a neighbor who feels alone in the world, to feed someone who's hungry, to shelter someone who's homeless, to protect the victim, or to befriend the stranger, hearing that call will come in less obvious ways. Maybe it's a little nudge you feel inside. Perhaps it comes from the person sitting next to you or standing in front of you. It might come from a word in scripture or a song or a word that you can't get out of your head. My point is that we should be ready to go, whatever God calls us to do. You can start in small ways. Consider that person that's hard for you to go and pray with. Maybe you could start by praying for that person. The change you pray for may or may not come, but it might make a difference for you. Perhaps you'll be more open. Perhaps you'll be more ready for what God has to say to you next. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.